Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. We're here in the Condé Nast Podcast Studios. I got Meredith Carey. Hello, hello. I got Sebastian Modak. Hi. And Catherine Legrave. Hello. All of those people are editors for Condé Nast Traveler and podcast regulars, so you know who they are already. We have so many things to talk about today, and we have to start yet again by calling out our new podcast, Meredith's Podcast. Hey. And we can't make Lale come to all the podcasts to do <laughs> promo, so, but we can still talk about her. Um, the first episode went up on Monday, December the 4th. Mm-hmm. Mary, you want to give the elevator pitch there? Yes, the elevator pitch is the Women Who Travel podcast. If you uh, regularly check up on our website, last March we had a big package about women who travel. Uh, We decided that there was so much more to talk about, so we decided to launch a podcast, all women, all the time, just chatting about what it is like to travel as a woman. Our first episode is about solo travel. What's the podcast called? Women Who Travel. And I bet they could find it on the iTunes store. They they can do that. <laughs> Just do a nice search there. Anywhere fine podcasts are podcast. found. Yes. Yeah. Whatever you whatever you do. So this is hosted and produced by Meredith and Lale, mm-hmm. who are folks from our, our team. You just and hear us chat more and more and more and more. Can't get enough. No. Can't get enough of the chatting. You guys are doing seasons, so this is season one. This is season one. It'll have eight episodes. We're going to run for about two months and then take a quick break and then come back because we know that, you know, we want this travelogue. We can, you know, talk about anything all the time and we have lots of things to say. Uh, We wanted women who travel to just be a little more focused. And so we're being very particular about who we bring on. Um, This season we've got episodes about how travel changes as you age. We have episodes about, you know, women who are doing really incredible things in the cocktail and restaurant scene. We're going to talk about, you know, insecurities that come out of Instagram. I think that we're just trying to make sure that it's things that you want to hear about. And if you have a question that you want answered, just open up a voice memo record yourself and send it to women who travel at cntraveler.com and you might find yourself on our podcast. She's going to make you famous people. And suggestions, are you guys taking those as well? Of course we're taking suggestions. You know, I have my soapbox, so just tweet at me if you have anything you want to hear. Uh-huh. Don't tweet at me, that's for <laughs> sure. I can tell you this on this one, definitely don't tweet at me. And just to clarify, dudes are allowed to listen to the podcast, right? <laughs> Anyone is allowed I'd to say, listen I'd to the podcast. I'd say dudes are probably encouraged. Encouraged to listen. You might learn a little something. Okay, so you guys go out there and subscribe to that. You're forgiven for you know this week and for maybe next week, maybe the week after that. After that, no more excuses. Like Just get out there and get on that thing. Um, okay, next thing that we got to talk about today is whale jokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sebastian, uh, we're going to tie this all together in a bow later, but I think really, you need to lead us really off. You're doing, making me do it. With a whale joke. All right. Shout out to Daniel Schwartz for the inspiration for this one. You're famous, Danny. <laughs> There's this bar. It's a regular old bar. And uh, one day, a whale walks into it. And this is a human bar, so it's pretty weird. And um, everyone's kind of a little taken off guard including the bartender. He's kind of thinking, what's a whale doing in here? But he's also like, I'm not one for discrimination. So (laughs) he sees the whale and he said, hey, whale, what can I get you? And the whale kind of takes a look at what's on draft, looks at what's, you know, what's lining the shelves. Cocktail menu. Yes. Really thinking about it. And then he goes. (laughs) (laughs) 
like that we all just heard this joke and we're laughing <laughs> again. We're mostly laughing at Seth yeah. making the faces that he makes with these Stop. noises. Which of course Stop. He's just going to keep doing that. That's going to be the podcast. Tweet him your whale noises. Yes. And that's how Travelogue became a comedy podcast. <laughs> well, I don't know no, about bad that. comedy podcast. <laughs> All right. So, that we're going to that's going to be relevant at some point in the podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, we'll come back around that. But fittingly, topic of the week is adventure travel. So, just this week, we put up a bunch of stories about adventure travel, very exciting stuff. This is something we've been working on for a year now, at least in conversation. So I wanted to ask you guys, because you all worked on these things, what is the definition of adventure travel that we used in putting this together? I'd say it's twofold. There's the sort of aspirational adventure side of it, where it's stuff that most people wouldn't necessarily do, but it's still interesting stories to hear about people really pushing the boundaries of you know, doing things on the road. And that's, you know, Kenyan bush pilots and... Adventure racers. And like, yeah, desert rally racers who drive through the Gobi Desert, things like that, Um, which like I'm not going to do probably ever. Uh, Fly a bush plane through the Kenyan (laughs) savannah. (laughs) Never say never. Never say never. But then I think a big part of it too is like the attainable adventure. And it's the kind of stuff that I think a big part of travel is challenging yourself, right? Going outside of your comfort zone. And there's many ways to do that. Being in a place where you don't speak the language is one. Trying to trying something to eat that you wouldn't usually try is another. But then also kind of participating in outdoor activities that really challenge you to try new things. And I think that's kind of what we really wanted to zero in on, that these are things that you can do. Does it have to be physical? Does it have to be like bungee jumping or mountain climbing or flying a plane? Or could it be... I don't know, eating weird shit or eating super, like, you know, super hot food. I I think it can be, but I think our focus was more on the physical. It was like really pushing yourself to get outdoors, try new things. And like, and it's a whole other way to appreciate the natural beauty of a lot of these places that have become kind of global adventure capitals for a reason. And a lot of that reason isn't, although there is, we can get into it, there is infrastructural reasons of why, you know, places like New Zealand are, are like hot spots of adventure, but it's also kind of the natural gifts they've been endowed with that make it kind of a playground to really just get out there and try new things. Yeah. This is obviously like, it's a whole segment in the travel market, right? But it also feels like it's one that's evolved a lot in recent years. What's changed about how we think about this? And like, you know, I mean, to me, it seems like there are roots in this notion of adventure travel that go all the way back to like game hunting and exploration that's the sort of the legacy of this but it's been democratized in in a lot of ways what kinds of things were you guys seeing um, in terms of how this marketplace looks today i mean i think for one it's become much more accessible like you talked about explorers and you know one of our pieces was adventures you can do in a day like things that you would never think would be possible like you can snorkel the great barrier reef and if that's on your adventure bucket list you can take it off you know you can hike the great wall of china on a layover, like mm-hmm. stuff that you said has become sort of more democratized. I mean, the Great Wall of China isn't the same as scaling Everest, but you know, before like Kilimanjaro was an example of something that was thought to be like, I don't know, 40 years ago, not something that people were doing. And now it's like pretty commonplace. 
I would also say that, you know, as I was talking about infrastructure, um, Mark Elwood wrote a piece for us that you can find online. Um, it's really interesting about really why New Zealand has taken off. And, you know, part of that is because the landscape lends itself to kind of some crazy things. There's lots of good places to jump off of. Right. And bungee <laughs> jumping actually was started there in the 80s. But the other reason is that, you know, the way that the insurance system works, injury insurance, is that, you know, the New Zealand government passed a law. In 1974, the Kiwis passed a law um, called the Accident Compensation Corporation, um, which basically means that you cannot sue in court for millions of dollars if you get injured. That means if you fall in your own home, that means if you, you know, fall bungee jumping, no matter what, they will give you money for rehab. They will help you get better. They will, you know, set your bones and do all those things and like cover all of the insurance for Wait, that. they'll do that for free? They'll give you the money to do that, but they will not, you can't then sue the company yeah. the, or, you know, the flooring company or the bungee jumping company or whatever for more money than you will need to get better. So they basically took the risk. Mm -hmm. Which is why kind of all of these extreme sports have found their birthplace in New Zealand because the risk there for both the person who's jumping off the cliff and the company who's telling them to do it is much lower. And was this something that New Zealand did consciously to try and sort of create an industry? or It was it not meant to create an extreme sports industry. It's just kind of lent itself to that. I think that it was, you know, first created just to kind of create this no-fault insurance system, but it wasn't ever meant specifically to draw tourists to come to do these crazy things. But it's obviously contributed to... Heavily. Yeah, New Zealand becoming one of the top destinations for this in the world. Mm -hmm. And so our, people are still going there for this stuff, right? Definitely, Absolutely. definitely. Yeah. He was talking to the guys who invented bungee jumping, and you know, the first day that they had anyone jump off of the bridge that is still the bridge that they have their like main central bungee jumping location you know there were 30 people who jumped off now it's something like 38,000 people take that same jump every year wow um that would so, have been great if you said like 30 and now it's 38 <laughs> but you went 38,000 <laughs> 38, oh, okay. so I think that you know that's been what just under 20 years now uh, can, you, um, can you imagine being the first bungee jumper Oh my gosh. <laughs> hey, we just invented this thing. You want to try it out? Just you'll, you'll be fine. You got to do is jump off this bridge. Big old rubber band. We got you. No, another thing I think, I mean, that we've noticed all of us is like social media, how big of a, a part that has played. You know, we have a piece about the pursuit of viral vacation and just how stuff seems more accessible. That and also it's like you know, did you really climb Everest if you didn't post about it no, on it's Instagram? No, totally, it's, it's like you know a motivation I mean? to do certain things as well. Like you want to do that hike just for that shot when you get to the top, you know, which is something that photographers have been doing forever. But the fact that now you can do that with your phone and take a beautiful sunset shot from the top of a mountain makes you want to do it even more, I think. So now you've got people who are actually doing these extreme things just to get the Instagram. And they do it for a living. For a living, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, that, it's a whole cottage industry on top of the cottage industry. Totally. And so are those people, this is such a cynical thing to ask, but are those people then like hired by the tourism boards to kind of do this crazy stuff? Like, is this all kind of been commercialized? I would say that most of the people that you will find on Instagram are photographers first and foremost. They're Nat Geo photographers, or they've you know started their lives doing photography, either destination-based photography. And this is like, again though, this is like adventure, adventure we're talking about versus like the whole world of travel Instagrams, which is a whole other thing that does, I think, usually involve 
quite a bit of like product placement and right. you know, I hashtag mean, I, van life and the all people that. that you see on this end are, you know, Red Bull sponsored. They're climbing El Capitan without, you know, any ropes. Right. They would be doing this and photographing it whether or not Instagram existed, but now so many more people can see it and be inspired by it or just be like, oh, I'm never doing that thing. But it's fun to live but it's vicariously fun to live a little vicariously. bit. You know? yeah. Yeah. There's a downside to this too, right? There's a couple of downsides to this. One is, you know, okay, there's 38,000 people now jumping off of this gorge. That creates all kinds of infrastructure problems. And you can see an even worse case of that with Everest itself, right? Where mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like, there are massive problems with infrastructure, with trash, with all kinds of environmental Tiesto problems. Tiesto concerts happening at base camp. Didn't that happen last year? Uh, yeah, uh, something. Uh, I don't think it was helicopter. Tiesto, but it was someone like Someone like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what a Tiesto is. <laughs> Just going to go on record for that. I'm sure that's really good. But... <laughs> Especially at whatever the elevation of 20,000 meters or whatever. Um, but yeah, like like people, you know, kind of that's the downside of the democratization, but also of the social media frenzy around these things where people see it and then they want to go take the shot themselves. And then there's also just like regular people going to some of these places and getting close enough to like I, I remember last year going around the Horseshoe Bend in the Colorado River and like there's a giant cliff on one side and like the horseshoe thing on the other side and the driver of the boat is like oh yeah every year like you know a couple people fall off that thing you know down and smash onto the rocks because they're up there trying to get this photo with them right in front of the horseshoe because it's like this classic sort of photo and they just they go too close to the edge and boom they go over Oof. And it's become this trope of getting that shot and yeah. putting yourself in front of the. I think I think there's a dark side to it when you put it from the purely social media angle, like that that person died trying to get a thousand likes on Instagram or something. But ten thousand. But the, sorry, yeah. I don't, but the other thirty-eight thousand. Thirty-eight thousand. <laughs> but the other side of that about the whole kind of democratization of it and I, I was going to bring this point up earlier when we were talking about infrastructure, is that it really does make a lot of these adventures more accessible for people because now there's an infra tourism infrastructure around it. You know you're going with a guide who's going to look out for your safety, who's been trained to look out for your safety. So it's not just the like purview of the... like the uh, I have an interview up with George Steinmetz, who's a photographer who would... Uh, go into the middle of the desert in like Chad with a motorized paraglider and just take off from the <laughs> desert and then take aerial photos and land himself. Um, what is a motorized paraglider? Like basically a... Is that also known as a plane? Well, no, a it's like a paraglider. Like, attached to like a go-kart, right? Yeah, or like attached to like a lawnmower motor, basically. <laughs> to like get you off the to ground. To get you off the ground. Does and then the motor you go with you or like the yeah. motor stays on the ground? motor goes right. with you, gives you a little bit more propulsion while you're going. But you're still very dependent on winds and everything, like the right conditions. But, you know, and like in a way you could argue like, oh, drones have made those like obsolete. And but at the same time drones has made aerial photography more accessible to a lot more people and made people more creative and whatever else but like for my example i recently got back from the azores and i was there to kind of try out some more adventurous things that i wouldn't normally do and i would still have never have normally done them unless i was with kind of a guide who would make sure my ropes were secure before i went rappelling down a waterfall and i was did able to experience that? that i did do that not well but i did it <laughs> What was that like? Ask for the footage. Um, it's it's super fun. It's uh, it's called canyoning. For 
those who are so you basically get into a and wet, we talked about this not canyoneering i know i think they're the same they're interchangeable oh are they yeah okay um so you get into like a wetsuit and a helmet and you sort of make your way down a r- river trail ravine so you're a lot of the time you're just hiking and kind of rock scrambling and stuff all stuff i've done before that was fine but then you basically get to like a precipice and they rope you up and they're like all right go and you just kind of Spider-Man your way down with water gushing over and then you. occasionally you get to one that has an active waterfall on it And so you're doing it while there's water hitting you the <laughs> entire time while you're going down a Dude, waterfall. Were you scared? Uh, I was pretty scared. I got pretty bruised up, but it was super fun And like the the guides are just so good because they've been doing this They've created a whole tourism infrastructure around it. So they're like, you know, I go through something that feels like 45 minutes going down this waterfall just gasping for air. It's been like actually a minute and 30 seconds um, And I get to the bottom and like my guide Bruno is like giving me high fives and he's like you're killing it You're doing great. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing great. Bring on the next waterfall uh, And then I'll just like fuck up again and but it's, it was super fun regardless just kind of hanging on for dear life um, And the same is said for it. We can get into the Azores more later because I do think it's gonna be kind of a New Zealand type place for adventure travel um, once it kind of develops more in the tourism world. But another day I went mountain biking around like a volcanic crater. I'm not a mountain biker. I like bike through the city occasionally and I've mountain biked like four times. On city bike. Yeah. But like, <laughs> and, I've, and I've been on a mountain bike like four times. Um, but they just kind of like dropped me off on this rim of a volcano and we're like, cool, we're going to be in the Jeep at like different checkpoints along the way to just make sure you're still moving. I love how they're like, yeah, we're rolling in the Jeep. <laughs> Climb that well, they, shit. Well, they offered, they're like, do you want someone to come with you? And I was like, nah, I got this. I can mm. do this, whatever. I, I know how to handle a bike. Um, and like, it was scary, but it was like, that was the fun. My heart was racing the entire time. I was just like, at first, very hesitantly bumping down these hills. And by the end, I was just kind of, fuck it, careening. Um, Did you crash? you fall? I didn't fall. I didn't fall. There were a couple of like downhills where I got off the bike and walked it down. I will <laughs> admit because I was just like, nope. Because also the the you had them erase the footage. <laughs> also, I was I was up on a ridge of a volcanic craters, and the Azores already because it's right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Weather changes really quickly, so it would be sunny, and I'd have this beautiful view of the canyon below me. And then suddenly I'd just be like in a cloud and I couldn't see a foot in front of me. So I'd be going down these hills <laughs> and <laughs> into the cloud, I'd, into the cloud. I'd be going down these hills, just like reacting to what was directly in front of me because I couldn't see like where the path was going. And off one side, it was just a drop. Um, was it a live volcano? No, uh, it's like not a cr- really an adventure. Then, is it? <laughs> he did go to a volcano, though. So but it was the same thing. Like I, I wouldn't have rented a mountain bike, thrown it in the back of my car and gone up there and just done that myself. The fact that there was some infrastructure there where I felt secure, that I felt that there were people around who could help me if I did go tumbling down that ledge. Um, and that's because I'm not I'm like a city boy through and through, which is why this was challenging for me. There are plenty of people who would much prefer to just get their own mountain bike and go up there and all the power to them. But the fact that I can now do experiences like that and really like mm. push myself, I think is great about the kind of growth of adventure tourism as a, its own sort of industry within an industry. Did it feel like a gateway drug to you, like in the sense that are you are you now open to trying things that are yeah. maybe a little bit more out there? I, I've, I've been like researching mountain biking around New York City because it was super fun and I want to be much better at it than I was. What about volcanoes? Volcanoes around New York City? <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> not yet. 
Um, it's coming. It's coming. I will say that, so I interviewed a couple weeks ago this duo that I'm super obsessed with, Drew Gurian, I'm going to mispronounce your last name, and then Rosie Morfeander. And so she is in her mid-50s and he's in his 30s and they did this insane trip. Um, they did this thing called the Mongol Rally, which is where you drive from London to Siberia in a <laughs> oh. tiny 1.2 liter car. How do you get across the water? You go through the channel. Oh. <laughs> That's that part. That part's not hard. It's like the Iran, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan. Yeah. Did they like, know each other before? So Drew and his brother went in one car and Rosie and her mm. also mid-50s best friend Jane went in another car and they kind of convoyed together. Rosie and Drew met on a trip to Cuba. They were like on a small tour. Um, Matt, she lives in Australia. He's from Jersey. But the one thing that they both said was that it's not like there's any reason why you couldn't just like get a car and technically drive from London to Siberia. Like you can do that right. on your own. But this the is fact a race, right? it's it's a it's not a race it's oh. a rally so the point isn't to get there the fastest it's just to get there period you're in like a really shit car um, so it took them two months um, you can take whatever route you want you can like zip and just spend most of your time in Russia but is it like a regular car or is it some kind of outfit, no they're, like, they're, outfit like you can do whatever special. you want to the car so they okay. just both got Nissan Micros like 1990s little Whoa, dinky yeah. cars that is a um, shit car because <laughs> you can only have like so much and like horsepower basically that's like the 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 only is, rule. And that is the least horsepower um, you can have. Well, they said that at one point when they were driving um, on this crazy highway in Tajikistan, the Pamir Highway, um, they spent an entire day in second gear and like never got <gasps> out. Like the whole like like sun rise to sunset were just in second gear. But they said mm -hmm. that they never would have done this like because why? Unless there had been this company called The Adventurous, which does a bunch of other also equally insane trips. Um, if they hadn't been like, oh, there's a group that does this. Mm. This is not a normal thing, but it's not not normal because it's like sanctioned by a group that's been doing it for years, so let's do it. You only have to be like a little bit insane. Right. To do it. <laughs> no, exactly. And it was it's so cool because, you know, neither of them would have ever I don't think any of the four of them would have done it before. And they're all like decently adventurous people. Drew's a photographer, his brother um has a podcast called Far From Home, which he recorded while they were on the road. But I think that it, it is, like, you know, Seb was saying, you know, he never would have done it if there hadn't been guides. He never would have done it if it hadn't been like, Oh, you should go do this thing, we're gonna follow you around. There's less kind of help on the Mongol rally, but it's kind of the same thing. Like you never would go that far out of your comfort zone if you weren't like, oh, other people have done this. They've enjoyed it enough to potentially do it more than once. And like, I think I can be strong enough and go far enough out of my comfort zone and, to do that And too. in a way that's like almost good about Instagram or whatever, this is maybe a stretch and I'm, it's coming out as, <laughs> as it's formulating in my mind. But the fact that- Be adventurous. The fact that like I could search canyoning and and Azores on Instagram and see hundreds of people doing it. I'm not like that unique in doing it. So like, what's the, like, I'm not doing it for the gram at that point then I'm doing it for myself. Cause like, I've never gonna, ha I've never done something like that before. So I'm challenging myself. But did you Instagram it? No, I don't think you did. And I took a photo of the waterfall that I had gone. I didn't bring my phone with me cause it would have not made it up the <laughs> other side. I barely did. <laughs> so like on the, on the Mongol rally, mm -hmm. 
what is the level of support that they provide? So like Seb's guys like took him there, helped him repel, like like set up the ropes. Do these guys at least like AAA, like give you some maps, like little shit to follow and like, you know, come get you if you f- nope. get a flat tire? Uh, my favorite story, one of my favorite stories that they told me um, was that they actually just got a letter from the Mongolian embassy, the U.S. embassy in Mongolia, because they were the very first vehicle rescue of U.S. citizens <laughs> oh. in Mongolia because they had like been driving and there was this, you know, beautiful river below them and they decided to go like look and like go kind of off-roading um, and then got really stuck and had a satellite phone, like called their partners, you know, texted their partners who were in, you know, the U.S. and in Australia and in the U.K., who then called the embassy because there was no way they could get a tow truck. And then, like, <laughs> lo and behold, emergency services, like, like fly in to get them out. And they, like, now have a plaque in the embassy, like, we did this thing. So they were oh, happy about us. that. Exactly, which is so funny. But I think that, you know... It takes a lot of independence to do the Mongol rally. The adventurists who kind of put this on, they help you with your visas. They um, make you raise a bunch of money for charity to get involved. Mm -hmm. Um, They give you a start and a finish. They throw a big party. But other than that, it's really up to you. I mean, they're just facilitating kind of just the start part of it. I think they give you a time limit. you got to finish it in two and a half months or something like that. But it isn't isn't a race. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... It's mostly there for you to enjoy um, more than it is for you to kind of. What was the hardest part for them? Um, The guy's car broke down (laughs) so many times to the point where they had to sit in Uzbekistan for nine days because their head gasket needed to be flown in from Dubai. And I think that led to them having to rush a little bit at the end. But, you know, there's so many stories that they told about the car breaking down or not knowing where they were. You know, I was talking to Rosie and she was saying when they were on that Pamir Highway, which is like the second highest traversable, you know, altitude wise road in the in the world and and they like were driving at night, which they had told themselves they weren't gonna do, and they everyone was getting nervous because on the other side of the river that was directly next to them was Afghanistan. They turned off into this truck stop. There was like two Belgian, like a Belgian couple that was like also driving around Tajikistan. Doing the rally? No, just driving around. Just adventuring. Just just doing their thing. And, you know, we're trying to communicate with the people who ran the truck stop who said, you know, you can, I mean, indicated that they could sleep on the day beds that were outside. They didn't know where they were. They couldn't see anything. It was pitch black when they got in. The truck stop just had fairy lights, which was how they could see it. And when they woke up in the morning, they were like in this orchard they hadn't been able to see the night before that was like pomegranate trees and the people brought them you know fresh figs in the morning and she was and Rosie was talking about how she was just like crying because she was like this is so beautiful I will never have this experience again and then the next day the boys car broke down the women had to tow them um you know halfway there like to their next stop and then they you know had to wait for the mechanic and then I think at one border, they like were on a tow truck and then the tow truck couldn't cross the border. So then the women had to tow them and then the tow rope broke. And so they had to take the strap that strapped their roof rack on and wow. cut it in half. And I mean, these are like, yeah, this but is I went funny canyoning. <laughs> yeah, but the, fu- no, but the funny thing is like all of those are, those don't have that much to do with like where they were at some extent. No. It's like shitty car and right. like that could happen to you in Mexico that could happen to you like in a lot of places. No, and and they they actually had some really awesome 
interactions in the time that they ended up having to like wait a mechanics. They were in one city and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but you know, they were driving and they had asked someone for help. And then when they got to that mechanic, you know, this couple popped out of this, um, you know, four by four car and was like, Hey, we saw you guys talking to them. You know, they spoke English and they were like, you know, we'll help you. We want to make sure you're not getting the runaround. Rosie was like, you always have to like decide whether or not you're going to trust that person who is telling you like, oh, oh, I'll help you, I'll help you, and you don't know. So they ended up following this couple to a different mechanic who came in on his day off and was, you know, rolled up honking and wearing a Mongol rally t-shirt because he had like (laughs) helped another um, rally car three or four years before. They ended up having to wait, you know, half the day in this city and the couple was like come over we'll give you lunch this guy will call us when your car is ready you know again they're like okay we gotta like hedge our bets how do we feel about this they were like you know what we're just gonna go with them they went with them the couple and their young son were like we were gonna just spend the day on the water took them on their boat spent all day there the guy brought their car back that night would not take a dime and was like i just want you guys to finish the race Hmm. so like even you know even in the bad times, it ended up working out. People are super People nice. are nice. Yeah. People are nice. And that's what they kind of discovered everywhere. And, and they were in um, another spot, and there were a bunch of cyclists. And Rosie and her best friend Jane had decided, since they were carrying water, they would give water to the pe- bicyclists that they saw. Um, because, you know, they usually have to be um, purifying water, which you know, it doesn't always taste quite right. So they were like, we're going to give them some of the water that we have. Um, they pulled over and there was like this 70 year old man and he was biking and he pulled up and started talking. And Rosie was like, you're, you're from my County in England. <laughs> what? And he was just like celebrating his 70th birthday. His family thought he was crazy. Just like cycling in the middle East. Like the world is so small. And I think that adventure travel kind of proves that because yes, you're exploring which is kind of the origins of it, but there isn't a lot to explore left, mm. like as far as you know, being the first person to do anything. So I think that it makes it easier for you to be like, I'm not gonna be the first person, but I should totally still do it. Um, it's kind of good because it com- becomes, to your point, less seven, of it, a com- it, it, competition. It be- yeah, it becomes more about you yeah. Yeah. And, and your own sort of ed- broadening and education and, and whatever. I like that you can pay now. Can we talk about this? You can pay to be left in yeah, the middle of nowhere. Insane. Oh my gosh. Can, no, can you starting, please talk about that? I mean, Meredith wrote a story earlier and we have sort of another story about how it's become a trend. So there's this tour operator called Black Tomato and basically it start. I think it's like starts at $20,000 and you pick polar desert, you know, you pick your region and then... And then they, they do everything leave. else. Yeah, they do everything else and then they leave you and it says like they always have someone watching you, which is creepy or comforting. But I mean the these the I will say with black tomato, which is yeah. known for being ultra luxury, yeah. um, they'll build whatever like hotel yeah. you want and then wherever you want it. But they, you know, yes, you're getting dropped off. They will give you, you know, they won't give you any hints about where you're going, but you'll get the training that you need beforehand. Um, you get all the gear that you need. Um, and they're like James Bond, they drop you off and you take off the parachute suit. A and little it's a tuxedo. bit. That's, that's well, it's like a, it's, it's a whole different, that's like a different world of adventure. Right. Because, because I mean, basically. Survival. Yeah. That's <laughs> this is the game. Have you guys ever seen the movie, The Game? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like the game, right? It's like the. The gentleman who we had on a previous podcast titled uh, 
billionaire's vacation service. I don't look at our archives, <laughs> but, but this is a little like 20k versus like 10 million dollars. Right. It's a small, it's a, a short, like guy. this guy would like put on pirate battles for people. Yeah, this and, is not that, but it is like I'm hiking through you know a rainforest in Bali and I get to my beautiful tented camp and I wake up the next morning yeah. and there are four kayaks and now it's like okay I'm getting on the kayak and I'm like it's like a video game brought to it, it really yeah. oh everyone go see that over Christmas but um yeah no Is it there feels another one? yeah there's a new stay one stay focused stay Kevin focused. Hart The Rock Nick oh, yeah. Jonas everyone's making faces I'm not at me gonna watch that. <laughs> um, I'm gonna stick to the Robin Williams one, but I will but. say like you know that idea of being like I'm not in charge of planning my trip and you guys are going to create this insane adventure for me and I am just along for the ride is kind of exciting but mostly terrifying to me. I mean if you have the money for it, oh, right? Yeah. Like I mean the, the, like we that have another <laughs> we have sure everything you want um but also some element of surprise. We have a you know in the in our latest story about this house becoming a trend. It's like because so many Americans and also more specifically like millennials take their work with them and are always checking their email like you know canyoning you can't have your phone with you and that was one of the points that this black tomato founder made in the piece he was like it's you know people really want to be forced to disconnect and this is like people are paying for that. Like Dude, there are streets in New York you, yeah. I can point you to <laughs> you'll be just fine. Like. <laughs> And I know Black Tomato, they're actually really great. You know, they are they are on the pricey side, but at the same time, they're on the innovative side of yeah. this kind of thing, right? And I think what's interesting to me is, because this seems to happen with everything, how do you go from that being this kind of like pretty high price ticket, you know, somewhat exclusive thing that, uh -huh. that it's not quite as exclusive as guy who will put on the pirate battle, but, it, you know, it's like you got to have some pretty significant coin to do that to a point where that kind of thing or some version of that becomes available to a broader set well, of people. I think it's kind of like what Black Tomato does is kind of just an extension, an extreme version of why we travel in the first place, right? Yeah. So it's to put you out of your comfort zone, to make you react to your surroundings, to make you kind of chart your own path through some through the unfamiliar. And maybe this is a good segue in that there are certain places around the world where I think lend themselves to that kind of travel, to that more adventure travel. And, and Catherine, you put together a piece of the kind of places around Dude, the that, world. That no, I did. For <laughs> no, no, but I was no. going to, I, mean, I was going to jump in. My point, right? I do, I but do. I was going to jump in before and say like, to your point, Brad, companies are already doing this. Like Lufthansa, the German carrier, oh, right. you can do yeah. Lufthansa surprise where I just choose my destination like based on, oh, I want a beach vacation. I want a romantic vacation. So you, you show see, up at the airport yeah. and basically it'll, it, you'll get your ticket and that is where you're going. That sounds so cool. Actually, yeah, that's especially true. like Lufthansa, like the brand doing it makes a big difference. You know, if it were like United, I'm not sure. <laughs> I would, I'm not sure I would be it's on board. It's Chicago. You're going to Chicago. Chicago. Podcast I, is, I, I could eat no, really well in Chicago. It'd <laughs> yeah. be like Des Moines. You're going to Des Moines. This podcast is not brought to you by United <laughs> um, or Lufthansa. And nor, nor will any future podcast apparently. Um, yeah, talk a little bit about what you guys saw. I want to talk about the best places. Yeah. Then maybe we can talk about some of the sort of future stuff like the survival holidays and that kind of thing. Catherine, talk about what are the other... We've talked about New Zealand, talked about the Azores. What else? Uh, yeah, so that's sort of like an old and new, right? Everybody kind of knows New Zealand, Portugal. We have the Azores on the list. Um, we also have Canada, which is one of my favorite places. I think it tends to be like 
north of the border for us. Oh, you, you did some adventurous stuff I out did. there, right? With a, with a I did. Brace but on where in Canada? Canada is gigantic. I mean, hi, like I, I call out in the piece, I call out Haida Gwaii, which is this archipelago. Um, it's called like Canada's sort of last frontier. It's in the far East west. Or west. west. Yeah, okay. Also west. Canada's Galapagos, right? Yeah, Canada's Galapagos, exactly. Um, I mean, you can go on northern safaris in Manitoba. So for each of these places, we try to highlight like adventuring, but not just, you know, every caption isn't just like canyoning whitewater rafting like it's not all the same there are different definitions um like we talked about mongolia mm -hmm. um greece which most people don't really think of as an adventure destination but it's a huge place for windsurfing i jumped off some pretty high rock <laughs> oh, there you go greece okay into okay water um i discovered it sorry it's a quick quick aside i discovered this i didn't get to do it because it wasn't the right conditions for it it's more a summer activity in the azores because the seas get too rough but there's something called coast steering have you heard about this no what? Co-steering. Co on the coast? Kind of, except you're like, <laughs> so you're hiking along the, basically the shoreline, like cliff side shoreline. And then when you get to certain points, you jump off into the open ocean, Ooh. snorkel for a little bit, and then climb back up onto the rocks, keep hiking through trails, jump off again. See, I, I did that in Greece and I didn't even know I was doing a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you're on top of the trends. You're the real adventurer. It's, yeah. it's Greece. There are no guys guiding you around. <laughs> Uh, sorry, continue. No, it's okay. We talk about um, like Brazil, huge country, and then we go to Costa Rica. You know, a quarter of it is jungle, which to me is just. But wait, can we go crazy. back to Brazil? Like, yeah. What about Brazil? The yeah, Amazon. Okay. All right. Okay. The world's largest waterfall system, right? Um, we also talk about the biggest wetlands in terms of the Pantanal there. So it's like people think of Rio and they think of partying, but. It's actually when you get, side, yeah. yeah, there's a whole other side to it. Um, Iceland, which is sort of coming to its How are wetlands an, an adventure? Kayaking. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Crocodiles. I feel like, I feel like my, job is, Brad. my job is to be like the Debbie Downer of the conversation. <laughs> if you were kayaking through like... You seem so mad at me a, right now. Of a tributary. How dare you question wetlands. <laughs> of a tributary that was like filled with like... Piranhas. Yeah. Piranhas and and Oh, yeah. Well, you, she didn't say piranha-filled <laughs> wetlands. That oh, would have okay. changed the whole implied. question. It was implied. Brad's just kayaking like, yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't, I don't see it. I'm bored. <laughs> we talk about Iceland. Everyone's, Anybody been to Iceland? Everyone's going to Iceland. Iceland. Is this like, will you actually catch a disease in the Blue Lagoon? Oh, but you're not going to the Blue Lagoon if yeah. you're going for adventure. Like, you can snorkel between two continents I have, I have which a, is pretty cool I have a friend who went on a 10 day solo hike through what? Icelandic wilderness that's, Ooh, a, that's so a was your friend Justin Bieber <laughs> Did he I, do that? I watched that video. Oh, he's, yeah, he, do that? he does have a music video on Iceland. Okay, so if he had a video, he wasn't solo. Let's be real. <laughs> he wasn't shooting that shit himself, was Selfie he? Selfie stick. <laughs> so many little ponies. I'm sure he encountered on this trip. <laughs> Can we get through this whole list? <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty much it. That's it? Australia. I know, it's Thailand. Aren't we supposed we to have lists of 30 things <laughs> all the time? This isn't one of those 30 lists. You have 13. There is a three in there. Or 12. 38,000. That's Everything my motto. Everything is 38,000. That's the whole podcast. All right. Wait, everybody has been sitting, listening to this for like 40 and they're waiting minutes on the whales. or whatever. They don't understand why the hell I did that <laughs> Hold whale on, joke let me, at let the me, beginning. We're not there yet. Should I, I force the transition? We have to incentivize listening all the way to the end. <laughs> all right, save. Maybe <laughs> save we should just never the tell end. them. 
It's going to be so underwhelming when I tell them. Save it for the next podcast. <laughs> you have to tune in. For, and we just keep saying, next one. Tune in to Women one. Who Travel. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this but, is uh, us. Yeah, right. We're not going to tell you how he died. <laughs> Gosh, it's just like a pop culture podcast we got going on. I'm missing Ooh, a lot of new idea. <laughs> Next week, Catherine hosts a new podcast called <laughs> that, Pop that Culture would... and Travel. <laughs> called Current Movies. Yeah, you wouldn't want me hosting it. So, Seb, before we go, I think we need to tell people the origin of the whale joke. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty underwhelming. Um, <laughs> the whale but... joke itself was kind of underwhelming. So <laughs> That is not true. Thank you, Meredith. Um, <laughs> we all laughed twice. <laughs> It's the Azores. So the Azores... Where are the Azores? Okay, so the Azores are in the Atlantic Ocean, kind of in the middle, closer to mainland Europe than North America. Like um, eight, why like, does Portugal wait, get them? 850 miles out there, right? Yeah. Wow. 850 miles, about that, from mainland Europe, like 2,000 miles from North America. Um, all It's nine islands, all volcanic in origin, um, which gives it this kind of landscape that turns it into a great place for canyoning, mountain biking, hiking, uh, driving. It was a beautiful place to drive, um, which was its own adventure because you'd be... Every Were you road- in a micra? What? Were you in a micra? No, no. It was close, though. Close. Um, it was a... Uh, like, every road is a windy road, and then you'll suddenly... Like, every... The only traffic jams I saw were caused by cows crossing <laughs> from one pasture to the other, which happens often. There are more cows than people. On, Did you in say the move? <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. Yeah. But anyway, it's also like I was talking about kind of land-based stuff, but because of its location, because it's kind of right in the middle of a jet stream that keeps the water generally warmer than it would be in the mid-Atlantic, Cestations love it. <laughs> so just whales, whales no. and dolphins <laughs> yeah. and porpoises. But you, the I whole mean, line of them and twenty something like twenty. I feel like you got super sciency there for a second, man. Well, no. Wait, it's warm, and so like whale type things. They like, like hanging out there. They like breeding there. They like feeding there, like along their roots. But they they tend to it's hang like a there warm a lot. Pocket, right? So I found out something like twenty three different species of whale and dolphin hang out in that archipelago. I was supposed to, when I planned my trip, go swimming with dolphins. I was going to ask. Where they come out with a boat and they're very responsible about it. All the guides are kind of marine biologists. They know how to interact with these animals. They only allow three people in the water at a time with them. It's very responsible, which is great. If you want to hear more about places that aren't so responsible, listen to our podcasts about boycotting travel. Um, But I wasn't able to go because water was too rough but i did go cestation spotting did they really call it that cestation observation do they really call it that no actually but i did have a conversation with somebody from azores getaways who is uh, a travel agency there that puts together these package deals um and they were saying that when they were like coming up with names for the different activities the first one proposed was cestation observation. And someone was like, how about whale watching? <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't, I mean, we, um, when you were heading out, we were talking about all the crazy things you were going to do. And the guy that you had talked to had said that that swimming was the scariest yeah. thing because, you know, when you usually go, like when you're in South Africa and you're in California and you're going whale watching, you're not in deep, 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 deep open ocean. Yeah. But, but when there, you're there doing it at the Azores, there's no... Yeah. There, there are like coral a, reefs here. It's like you... It's the a island drop. Just, you're, on the, you're on the top of a mountain when you're on the island. So when you go out to the ocean, it's just a drop into black water. That 
That's terrifying. And so you just jump into... But dolphins are friendly. Yeah, exactly. And dolphin, sharks don't hang out with dolphins. That's right. But anyway, my point is, I went on a, on a cestation observation, and I saw a bunch of dolphins and a few sperm whales, and I found out that sperm whales hang out there because it has a really high concentration of giant squid. And the, what? And they're friendly. Sperm whales eat giant squid. Do they? Yeah. I thought they only ate the plankton. No, sperm whales are the largest ocean predators in the world. Oh, they're scary. They've got sharp teeth. How long um, before they come after the humans? <laughs> once the once we kill all giant squid, um, but they dive super deep and and hunt for giant. It's like it's like dinotopia. Are the giant squids the one that like ate Captain it's, Nemo's it's the vessel? Ones, it's the ones we don't see very often because they live oh. so deep. Um, so like we saw a few kind of doing their hunting dives. Sperm whales, not giant squid. Uh, no, we, we did not see giant squid. We saw sperm whales. <laughs> but the point is, it's a great place for whale stuff, too. That's why Brad made me tell the whale joke. There you go. Tied up in a nice, neat, nice neat little bow right there. It's all about the whales and the Azores. Okay. Uh, that was an adventure. Thanks, everybody, for coming and talking <laughs> about stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Wait, we, I have a question. Oh, dear. Sorry. Sorry. I, just, I think it would be a good way to wrap up. What's like one adventure each of you guys haven't done yet that you want to do? Oh, no. Oh, I have mine down, and Sebastian oh. knows exactly what I'm going to say, which is that I have been wanting to do the rickshaw run, which is oh, the adventurist's yeah. other trip, where you take a rickshaw, like a little tuk-tuk, and it's two people, and you better know what you're doing because you drive across the widest point of India. Again, you're just given the first, like the starting point and the end point, and you just go for it. And I would love to do that. I'm going with you. Okay, great. We need to find someone slash develop mechanic skills. And also, one of us needs to learn how to drive stick. Maybe both. Auto rickshaws? Stick? I feel like Wait it's a just minute. a good what about thing driving? to know. I thought you're supposed to run with these things. No, no, no. It's no, like no, it's not, not a, like a rickshaw. <laughs> an auto rickshaw, like a tuk tuk. Like oh, a, a tuk tuk. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's not a it's rickshaw. It's just like a. It's a rickshaw bike. in India. It's basically a motorbike with two seats and a little cover. Oh. Okay. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> Matt, Meredith and Seb go rickshaw yeah. riding. No, we would yeah. hate each other by the end of it. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Catherine? I'm gonna be super basic. Uh, no offense to anyone that's done this. Um, Great like Barrier Reef. Oh. <laughs> Snorkel. Listen to our other podcasts, Climate Change. Oh, that's true. Am I going? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a toss-up between scuba diving, which I've never done, and which my brother does, and many of you do, and um, I hear great things about. Um, but I'm terrified of the ocean. Mm. I'm really scared of creatures in the ocean. It's giant, like giant squid. Giant squid. <laughs> it gets a lot less scary when, when you're one of the creatures in the ocean than when you're looking from the top yeah. down. I did, I did snorkel for the first time ever, weirdly, in Greece this year. That was cool. So I feel like I'm ready for the next step. Or something that involves flight, which would be even more terrifying, but has less primordial fear baked into it for me, like mm. hang gliding or paragliding or something like that which I've never come close to, but I feel like would be kind of amazing to be in the air and seeing something amazing. Seb? Well, when I was like 20 years old, I was at Victoria Falls on the Zimbabwe side and they were doing bungee jumps off the bridge into the Victoria Falls Gorge. 
And I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm doing it. And I went up. I had exactly one $100 bill in my pocket. It was pretty much the money that I had left on this trip. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. When else am I going to be here? So I went up and I tried to do it. And the guy didn't accept my $100 bill. It's cost $100 to do. And he was like, we can't take this. It's series like 2001 and we only take series 2005 and above. This is during like Zimbabwe's economic crisis nonetheless. Um, so he just I did, didn't like the look of you. So he just didn't let me do it. And ever since I've been like, I need to go back to that fucking bridge and mm, jump off of it. Not the worst thing though, because my brother was supposed to do that exact same bungee jump. And um, that was denied by my family members and the family members of the people that he was traveling with because the year before yeah, a girl had fallen. She survived. And that. survived because she got to the bottom and it did the it ankle. Broke. Yeah. And she landed in the water. And I mean, she. She lived, which is great. But I think that, like, you got to give it a few more years and then maybe. I mean, it's been, I, I was there 10 years. That was like 10 years I'm ago. just saying since the girl fell. <laughs> okay. So that was like four years great ago. Great ending. <laughs> yeah. Adventure forever. Yeah, that, even more yeah. Right? Yeah, that wasn't exactly. It's like the thing that you always are afraid <laughs> is going to happen when you bungee jump. Yeah. Happened. My bad. Don't ever take an adventure. It's too dangerous. <laughs> uh, Signing off. Yes. <laughs> Have a great that. weekend, everyone. Oh, and by the way, subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com where you can read about all of the things we've just been talking about and many more besides. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube, CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Please tweet at us, send us feedback, review us on iTunes. And also be sure to go and subscribe again to the Women Who Travel podcast that is produced by Meredith and Lale. Um, Meredith... How can people reach you? You can find me, as usual, hasn't changed, at Oh Hey There Mayor. Seb. At Seb Modak. Catherine. I'm at KJ LaGrave, L-A-G-R-A-V-E. And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>